All right. Uh, today's scripture reading is John chapter 15, verses 10 through 11, and uh, 10 through 17, excuse me. And if you could please stand as able for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read the scripture for us, but we will respond with thanks be to God at the end. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, we are continuing in our sermon series uh, where it's just called Life Period, and we're talking about how we live this life in God. And last week, just to kind of recap, uh, I call it like on last week's episode, like, you know, how they do the recaps before a new episode on the TV show. Uh, we were talking about what it means to be connected to the source. And so uh, it was the first part of John 15 where it says that uh, you are the vine, we are the branches. We cannot bear fruit unless we are connected to the vine, unless we remain in the vine. And if we do, we will bear much fruit. And we talked about how the Christian life, so much of it is about learning to be connected to God. And unfortunately, I think so many times we feel guilty about that. We feel guilty about being disconnected from God. But that's like someone feeling guilty because they're not breathing enough air or feeling guilty because they didn't eat food, you know? The, the greater concern is that you're gonna pass out, right? The greater concern is that you're not gonna be able to live. It's what we need for life. And in many ways, to see God as this constant source that we're supposed to be connected to. But there is kind of a natural question that I think that comes out of this. I think a lot of times we do, our mind goes to, uh, you know, reading the Bible and praying and a lot of these things that are really, really good for connecting to God. We're talking about how God is way more available than that. He is everywhere. He can be accessed at any time. But even still, I think that there is something missing in the equation. I think a lot of times we in the church, we do emphasize our personal spirituality, as we should. It's so important. It's so core that you learn how to connect to God. But then there's a piece that's missing. You know, because I think sometimes, I, I used to think this uh, when I was younger, I was like, is the perfect Christian someone who just like kind of like locks themselves in a room and just reads the Bible all the time? You know, some of you are like, that was quarantine. <laughs> and, you know, in many ways, it, it just kind of feels like if all we did was these kind of like personal spiritual things, we just prayed, we read the Bible, we, we, we worshiped, you know, and if we did that by ourselves, would that be enough? And I think for a lot of us, if we're being honest, we would know that that's not quite it. There, there's, it's really important, but there's something missing. And even in this passage, it, it, it starts with us being connected to God, but it talks about that fruit. And then it tells us specifically what that fruit is, well, uh, sort of like what is going on here, that it's not just about, um, it, it, that being connected to God is something very specific. And we're going to talk about that. And so let's take a look um, in, in verse 10. 
Oh, it worked. Okay, it says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And so there is this idea that abiding is tied to following a very specific command that Jesus gives here. And it is to love one another as I have loved you, right? He's very, very clear about this. This is the command. This is what we are supposed to do. What do you guys think about that? Does that fill you, fill you with warmth and, and joy, as it says here? And, and, and is that like, like, oh, yeah, that's it, right? It's so good. I wonder that, I think that sometimes we think about the two messages, the message that you've been hearing uh, before about, um, you know, the fact that, that God is love, right? And God loves us and our identity is the beloved. We are the beloved of God. It is what defines us. And it is not earned, right? There's nothing you can do to earn that. But then on the other side of the same coin, it really is the same coin, then Jesus says, now as I have loved you, go and love one another. And I think that sometimes that message hits differently than the first one. But what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's making them the same thing. Remain in my love. And if you want to remain in my love, then you got to go out and you got to love other people. But if I'm being really honest, I think a lot of times I would hear messages like this and I'm not saying that I would, like, reject them, because how can you reject the idea that we're supposed to love, and especially Jesus is very clear that we need to love one another as we've been loved, but it's just not, it doesn't get me as excited as, like, the, the other message, right? The other message is like, oh, yeah, I'm loved. I'm loved. It's so good. I want that. But then the message that now I got to go love, it feels like work, right? And maybe it feels like, let's see if this works. <laughs> it feels like pain, you know, sometimes uh, we, we have been hearing this message that love is pain. There's this old song from the 70s uh, by a group called Nazareth. I'm, I'm not sure if they have some, um, you know, biblical or Christian connection, but they had this song called Love Hurts, Love Scars. That, that's all I'm going to sing. But <laughs> it's called Love Hurts. And it, it, it used to be used, I think it was like in a Gatorade commercial. And it was like with all these people playing sports and, you know, you would see somebody like in hockey and they get like hit up next to the boards and, you know, you see someone like sweating and training or you see someone like, like as they're trained, they fall down and, you know, they're trying to say like, hey, no pain, no gain kind of thing. And we have this message that we have heard that love hurts. Love is painful. And of course, there's so much in the Bible, and I don't want to deny this, that we talk about sacrifice. And we talk about the fact that, yeah, love does demand something from you. But friends, you know, maybe it's this, partially, this idea that we think of love as being painful. Uh, but also, I think another reason why we don't really like this passage that much, or, you know, if we're being really honest, it doesn't really, you know, get us super excited, um, is because of the other part where it says that, hey, if you want to remain in my love, um, it doesn't say go love one another. It doesn't say that directly. There's an intermediate. And what it says is, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, right? If you keep my commands. And then the command is 
that you love one another as I loved you. And so there is this component that this is a command, right? We don't like to hear this. You know, there's so much within us. I think especially um, for people uh, who have grown up, especially in American culture, so much individualism. We do not like to be told what to do, right? I, I, I used to joke that I think the motto of America, under the American flag, it should say, don't tell me what to do, <laughs> right? That like, we really, really don't like being told what to do. And so this idea that it's a command, you know, and so, yeah, that this is a, a, a picture of, of somebody commanding a dog. We're like, I'm not a dog, right? I thought this was supposed to be a relationship. Like, what the heck? You know, why are you commanding me? But friends, there is this part of the passage that as I've been reading it lately, I've been reading a lot of John 15 lately, and as I've been reading it, the part that really struck me that I don't know that I really paid that much attention to it because maybe all I heard was love, command, and, and I just thought of pain and I thought of sacrifice and all this. But I missed the part where it says that this is supposed to be joyful. It says, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full or complete or overflowing. That my joy may be in you. My joy, the joy of Jesus is going to be in us because this is what he's doing. What we are talking about here is not just a, a master uh, uh, commanding a servant to do something. It's more than that. It is about union, right? Because the whole thing was talking about a vine. And, and so it's saying that what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to connect us to him so that we can have his life. So the branch has life because the life of the vine is flowing through it. Right? It's because of that unity. It is because of that union. It's because of that communion that we are living life with God that we are able to have his life flowing through us. And so there is something in this that we have to address and we have to deal with. Is do you want the joy of Jesus within you? Do you think that that's actually a good thing? Right? Because Jesus says that my joy may be in you and he goes further to say and that your joy may be complete and that your joy may be fulfilled. Because a lot of us, we have a lot of joy, right? I mean, there's so many things that make us happy. There's so many things that we seek, and they're very fleeting. They are not complete, right? Almost everything in this world that we pursue, it goes away after a while. It is partial. It is incomplete. And what Jesus is offering here is complete joy. I have come to complete your joy in you through me. I'm going to give you my joy. But friends, again, the question is, do you want that? If you're being really honest, do you want the joy of Jesus? Now, the elephant in the room is you can't help but remember how Jesus died, right? He died on a cross. And a lot of us were like, okay, that's great. Yes, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me, for dying on a cross for me. That's awesome. But when we start saying that we're sharing in his life, then maybe some of us are like, no, 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 Jesus, you did it. <laughs> you know, I don't necessarily want your life. And, and so I wonder if sometimes we get kind of bad teaching about this. Um, so I, I was reading a, a blog post by this pastor, Randy Alcorn, and he was meditating on this very passage that we just read. 
and other passages like it. And he was thinking about, what does Jesus look like? What does Jesus look like? And, and, and he actually, um, I, I guess, like, like wrote a graphic novel, and someone else was going to illustrate it. And it was about Jesus, about his life. And, and so if you think about like a graphic novel, right, like a comic, you got to show Jesus. you got to show his face. What is he going to look like? And, and, and I was kind of curious about that. So I, I, I was just doing like a Google image search. And I, when I looked at the face of Jesus, there was a lot of like the Shroud of Turan, if you guys have heard of that. But there's also like a lot of like Jesus on the cross. I, I, I don't know why. When, when I looked up face of Jesus, it was just like Jesus, like, you know, with a crown of thorns and he's bleeding. You know, so then I just looked up Jesus in images. And this is probably one of the most famous images um, of Jesus. And, you know, a lot of them are like this. And it's not bad. You know, per se. Although, you know, of course, we don't really know what Jesus looked like. And I mean, let's be honest, Jesus wasn't white, right? <laughs> but a lot of European painters, you know, they just drew him, making him look like, you know, someone that they would see just walking down the street. And I get that. But, um, you know, a lot of times you would see Jesus and, you know, it's either, yeah, Jesus on the cross. And so Jesus is right? Like he's, he's bleeding, you know, and, and he's got the crown of thorns or he's like in agony or whatever. Um, and, and, there's other ones where you see Jesus like this, and he looks very serene, you know? Um, but honestly, there's not a lot of Jesus just outright smiling. Honestly, when I would see the pictures of Jesus smiling, yeah, there were some. It's usually like, like children's books, or it was a parody, someone making fun of Jesus, and they had Jesus smiling all cheesy. It's interesting, isn't it? And so Randy Alcorn, when he was, uh, you know, doing this graphic novel, he told the artist, he's like, I want you to have Jesus smiling in most of the pictures. Because when I read the scripture, it talks about his joy. And, 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 he, and Randy Alcorn, even in this blog post, he's like, I know in scripture there, there is a prophecy about Jesus. And we actually sing the song. We didn't sing it today, but we sing it very often in LGM. Man of sorrows, lamb of God. That's from scripture. That's from Isaiah where it says that he was a man of sorrows. And we hear that, and we internalize that, and we think of Jesus as being sorrowful. And, of course, what it's trying to say is not that Jesus was always sorrowful. It was saying that he took the sorrows of the world upon himself, right? Being on the cross was not fun. I, I'm not trying to say that Jesus was on the cross, and he's like, yeah, <laughs> you know? It probably was really painful. He probably was in agony. But when we think about Jesus, is our Jesus joyful? And Dallas Willard would ask this question a lot because he's like, we're trying to be like Jesus, right? We're trying to be the apprentices of Jesus. And so we want his life. And you have to ask yourself if you want that life. And it's a very important question to ask yourself if you really think that Jesus' life was good. Right? And, and so a, a lot of us, we, we keep Jesus at a distance. We keep his actual life at his, a distance because if we're being really honest, we don't want it. And so, you know, Dallas Willard sometimes would talk to pastors where, you know, they're just like, like mad all the time, you know, or just like so serious. And he's like, okay, there's a time and place for that. But do you think that Jesus, your Jesus, was darrowful, that, that he was... You know, just, just always kind of like serious all the time. Or was his life filled with joy? Because that's what this passage says. I want to give you my joy, and it's going to be a full joy. Friends, as we continue in this passage, um, 
there is this other thing that we have to deal with. And it is this idea that Jesus is giving a command, and we don't like commands. And Jesus actually, very clearly, he talks about this. Um, I, I changed something in the passage, and I actually translated it into the proper Greek. Just one word in the next passage. So I want you guys to pay attention and see if you can catch it. Because we read it as it, pre it presents in the ESV exactly what's written there um, earlier, right? So, so now I'm going to show you what the actual Greek is. And it's in the first couple sentences, okay? So let's take a look. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the, his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. So spoiler, it's in the first verse. Did you guys catch it? What is the word that I changed? What is the word that I changed? Anyone? Huh? Slave. Yeah, yeah. It was, so, so what was it before? It was no longer do I call you servants, right? And so servant, it sounds nicer, right? Servant sounds nicer. I mean, oftentimes, like, uh, we, we have a leadership team on campus, and we call them servants. We're like, this is our servants team, you know? And it's got, like, a really nice connotation. And servants can be paid, you know? Um, but really, the word in Greek, it's doulos. It's slave. I'm sorry. It's slave. You know, and, and sometimes it'll translate as bond servant. And the reason why they do that is, they, like, what is a bond servant? It means you're... You're bound, right? You, you don't have a choice. But at the same time, what they're trying to say is that it's not the same as chattel slavery, which is what we had in this country, uh, it, and it was terrible. Chattel slavery is completely inhumane. And in uh, the biblical world, slaves weren't treated the way that we treated um, African Americans for many, many years in this country. And so, yeah, when we read this with Western eyes and ears, we hear slave, and we have some very, very bad connotations, right? And some of those things I'm saying are not, don't belong to this passage, but the idea of a slave is that it's not voluntary. You're forced to do it, and that you cannot take away. And, and I think that the, the sting of this passage, and this is the reason why I want to show you this, that the real word is slave, because I think in many ways that's a lot of times what we think of our relationship with God. And if you're a slave of God's, it's probably not a lot of joy, is there? Hey, go love other people because you have to. Because if you don't, I'm going to beat you. Or you're going to go to hell. I'm not going to love you anymore. Friends, I'm just saying that, I'm not saying that everyone feels that strongly or has that same connotation, but I wonder if for some of us that that's what gets absorbed. Right? And to be fair, I mean, if you really think about our relationship with God, if God created us, and if God is the creator of the universe, he has every right to ask you what to do, right? Because you're his creation. You may not like that, but just the facts of the matter is that he would have the right to do that. But what he's saying here is, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. There's almost this idea that I'm sharing with you the will of God. I'm sharing with you the way of God. I'm not just saying, hey, go do this. But I'm telling you, there's a reason for it. I want you to love other people. 
Because this is of God. This is the godly thing. This is the full life. It's going to bring you joy. It's going to give you the fullest kind of life. Right? And, and he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And friends, I know sometimes like, like our, our mind goes to this place of like predestination versus free will. But simply think of it as this way. We were not able to love God. Right? And in, in many ways, if we were good enough, we would go to God like almost like, like just think of like a romantic relationship. Like as this worthy suitor going to God and be like, God, you got to love me because look at how good I am. But really for us, because we are the sinners that we are, we're broken and we're so finite. How dare we go to God and say, God, you must love me. We can't, right? So th that's what he's saying here. I chose you, right? You didn't choose me. I chose you. Not because you were worthy. Not because you're so perfect. But because I am love. I love you because I am love. And because now you are the beloved. Right? It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a beautiful thing that he just gives to us. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Your fruit should remain. That's what it, uh, abide means. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. In that is, Jesus is talking about the family business. What did Jesus come here to do? Did Jesus come here to just have a quiet time with the Father? Did Jesus come here to just memorize scripture? No, Jesus came to love us, to save us, to redeem us, Right? And he came to show love. And so basically, we are joining the family. We are now sons and daughters of the Most High. And you are now a part of the family business. And the family business is love. Right? And, and for Jesus, that was his joy. It was his joy to love other people. And he wants us to be able to bear fruit. Fruit that will abide. Um, what exactly is that fruit? It does seem like the fruit is love. But in other parts of scripture, it talks about uh, fruit of the spirits, right? Because we, we know that the way that we abide in, in Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is within us, then there's going to be fruit that gets produced. And so this is from um, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Um, the... Uh, there's there's a, a cute children's song that, that helps me remember it. Um, the fruit of the Spirit's not a watermelon. The fruit of the Spirit's not a watermelon. If you want to be a watermelon, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Anyways. <laughs> but these are the things that are being produced in our lives. And the reason why I like thinking of it as the fruit of the Spirit is because I think... So many times in this world, we, we're just thinking about like our life as a product. And, and there is so much fear in us when we feel like we are not doing enough. We're not producing enough, right? And, and again, it, it is the, the kind of slave-servant mentality when we go before God, you know, that, that we, we feel like God is going to be looking at our ledger and saying like, what did you do for me? Did you do enough? No? Well, I'm going to punish you. And so, some of you are thinking, but Pastor Steve, isn't there stuff in Scripture where it talks about a judgment? 
And yeah, there is. You know? and, and so one of the most famous ones is where it talks about um, the, the, the sheep and the goats. And the sheep on one hand, you know, that, that Jesus is going to welcome him, right? And, and he, he's going to say, you knew me, right? You knew me. And they're, they're, it, because when, when you saw me, you loved me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, right? And, and when I was uh, in prison, you visited me. And all this stuff that he talks about. Uh, you, you know, if I didn't have clothes, you clothed me. And, and of course, the, 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 the sheep ask, well, you know, Jesus, when did we see you and do those things? And he says, when you did it for the least of these, then you did it for me. And then the same thing happens for the goats. And he says, depart from me. Because you did not do those things. Because you did not see me and do those things. Because you don't know me. And that, at the end of the day, is what Jesus is talking about. He's like, you don't know me. You don't know me. We focus so much on the actions, right? And, and so the actions for Jesus was the proof. You know? So if you have a healthy tree, you're going to get fruit, Right? If the tree is doing everything a tree should do, and if it's, you know, getting all the nutrients, fruit is going to come out. It's not a, even a question at that point, right? And, 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 you know, in many ways, what judgment is, I think, is a way of saying you can't fool God, right? You can't say you know God. You can't say you love God. And there is absolutely no f- proof of that, Right? And, and so, you know, that's why Jesus will say sometimes, you know, not everyone who, who says, Lord, Lord, really, really knows me, right? Just because you call on my name, just because you even say that you believe in me. But the knowledge that I want to give you is I want you to share in my life. And that means sharing in my love. And for you to understand my love and that that love will also flow out from you. And these different qualities will flow out from you. Friends, can you imagine that in your life every day was flowing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? I think you're going to feed some people, (laughs) right? I think you're going to be loving some people in a very active way. If this was actually you, this was just flowing out of your life, right? And so you cannot separate the actions from who you are becoming. The whole goal of this is that we want to become love. Um, there's a great quote from Bob Goff from a book called, um, uh, any, I think it's called uh, Everyone, Everywhere, something like that. It's about loving everyone, everywhere. And uh, he, he says, I've spent my whole life avoiding the people Jesus spent his whole life engaging. God's idea isn't that we would just give and receive love, but that we could actually become love. I'm going to read that again. God's idea isn't that we would just give and receive love, but that we could actually become love. And so, friends, I I was thinking about that, that I know, uh, you know, obviously it's not just about us receiving love, right? We already said that, right? You can't just be like, okay, God loved me, but I'm not going to love other people. But it's also not just about giving love. It's not enough. Because we actually talked about this at the lock-in over the weekend, where uh, Paul says, you can give all your money to the poor and have not love. And if that is true of you, then it's worthless. It's nothing. There is a way where we can actually do loving actions, but there's no love in it. 
God doesn't want that. He wants his love to be within you. Some of that is going to be goodwill, how you actually feel towards other people, actually wanting good things for them. And so you're not just doing it out of this just kind of dead obligation. Because in many ways, friends, you're not going to have much joy in that either. Right? If you're just doing it because you have to. I don't think that's the fullest kind of joy that we're talking about here. But friends, can you imagine, and maybe you, you, you have done this before. Have you ever been a place where you were able to love someone selflessly and you weren't thinking about yourself? You really weren't thinking about yourself. You're just so absorbed in loving that person, really caring about them. And friends, if you can imagine what that's like, or just all of the, you know, just go back to the fruit of the Spirit. What does it look like to have joy, to have peace, to be patient? And I'm not talking about the forced patience where, you know, you're, you're like uh, kind of, like, like you're really not patient, but you, you feel like you're supposed to be. And that's a lot of what we think patience is because it's usually we hear the voice of our parents saying, be patient, right? And we hear that in a rebuke instead of like, what if you actually were patient? What if, like, like, like it, it was almost as if you had nowhere to go and you said to someone and you meant it, you're like, hey, hey, take your time, no worries. There's no stress here. There's no rush here. That there wasn't even a part of you, right? That, that you were genuinely kind, that you were genuinely good, that you, you had a gentleness about you, that you're faithful, that you're able to do the things that you know that God wants you to do, that you're self-controlled. Friends, I, I, I think that would be a joyful life. Is that what you want? That's what we're talking about here, right? And that's what God wants to offer us. And that's what I want us to pursue and to learn how to do. What Bob Goff's book is about is this idea that everywhere and everyone is an opportunity for you to become love. And so when you're at the DMV, or the Secretary of State, as they call it here in Michigan, and uh, somebody, I, I asked this question to our youth group last night. I said, where is God? And someone said, at the DMV. And I don't know why he said that. <laughs> it was like a high school kid, you know? I don't think he can drive yet. Maybe, maybe he just started driving, and he went to the DMV, and he's like, we need God at the DMV. <laughs> but it's not usually the place you think of God being. Right? When you're in a place where, where, where you're just like, man, that person, oh, they're, they're just, you're just an idiot. I just, I just don't want to be around this person right now. It's an opportunity for you to become love. It's an opportunity for you to learn, however imperfectly, how to let this light to shine through you. Have there ever been times where you tried to love somebody and you kind of did it because you knew you were supposed to? But in the end, it actually wasn't so bad. This isn't everyone's experience, but maybe there's a time where, you know, you really are impatient. And, and I, I don't know, there's like a cashier or something, and they're counting out your change, and it's taking forever. And there's a part of you that just wants to huff and, ah. You know, but you can see that person's flustered. You can see their pain, and you can see them hurrying, and they're shaking. And then you're like, oh, no, no, take your time. It's okay. It's okay. There's a part of you that doesn't really believe that. But they start to relax and then you start to relax, and they start to smile, and you start to smile. And you start to become love just that little bit more. And maybe you did it because you were commanded to do it. But friends, I hope you can see in this that that is our greatest joy. That is what God wants for you. He doesn't just want you to be a religious person in a box unto yourself. 
He wants you to shine this love to other people. Now, friends, I want to deal with um, a very interesting part of this passage that um, I I honestly never understood this. I never never understood uh, why Jesus said it this way. Uh, In verse 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone give up his life for his fill-in-the-blank friends. What does it say? What does it say? We just read it a couple times, so you might remember. It, it says friends. It does say friends, but I got to tell you, whenever I would read this passage, if I'm being really honest, I'm like, I don't think it should say friends. I think it should say enemies, right? Because if it's your friends, then is that the greatest possible love that you give up your life for your friends? Wouldn't it be even greater for you to give up your life for your enemies? And then I started to think about scripture, and there's actually scripture that seems to back me up on this. And, and I know you're like, Pastor Steve, you're taking on Jesus? Like, hear me out, hear me out. I, I, I want to tell you that I've come around, but look at Romans 5, 6 through 8. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so you're like, yeah, Pastor Steve, I'm starting to come around because it's talking about that Christ died for us while we were sinners. And that's definitely true. And Jesus definitely did that. And Jesus, I think in this passage, fully knows that he's going to die for enemies. But here he says in no uncertain terms, greater love has no one than this, that someone give up his life for his friends. I want to try to explain to you using that same passage in Romans. So we're going to finish it, right? We're going to keep on going to the next three verses in Romans. I'm going to try to explain to you why I think this is actually a greater love than dying for your enemies in some ways. So let's take a look at, uh, this is the continuation in Romans 5. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more, so this is saying, this is even better, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, again, much more, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, so even greater than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What is reconciliation, friends? It means that somebody, there's, there's like a broken relationship. And you've healed this relationship. And somebody that was an enemy now becomes a friend. This is what God wants. He says, yes, yes, I died for my enemies. But he didn't just die for our our enemies just for no reason. right? Jesus didn't just come here to die for people and say like, okay, okay, cool. You You guys do whatever you want for that. He died for us that we could have a relationship with him. He doesn't want you to remain an enemy. He wants you to be a friend. Do you see that? It, it even says in Romans 12, 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, right? We go back and it says more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's that word joy again. Friends, I, I just kind of imagine, you know, do, do you guys remember that passage where, uh, Jesus is, is on the cross, and, and he's looking at the people who are mocking him on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I always look at that as like kind of a burn, 
You know, it's like a burn on these people who are mocking him. And they're like, man, how, how dare you? You should be ashamed of yourself that, that you're mocking Jesus and he's forgiving you. But I don't think that's what Jesus is thinking. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I think that what he's thinking is, I can't wait for these people to come to me. I can't wait to be in relationship with them. I can't wait for them to be my friends, to be friends of God, to be enveloped in this love of God. And so, friends, when you go back and you look at what it's talking about, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, right? And then what does he say right after that? He says, uh, um, he says that uh, you are my friends, um, you are my friends if you do what I command you, right? No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. And so, yes, Jesus did come to pour out his life for enemies. But the ultimate joy that Jesus wants to experience is pouring out his love for a friend, for people that were enemies. But now... They are part of this love. It is greater because now then we can then share that with other people and that love gets multiplied. Can you imagine if Jesus just died for those people who were there around the cross and maybe they were really grateful and they received that and they're like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Okay, let's go out and live our selfish lives. Let's just do whatever we want. No. That's not the greatest possible love. That's not a greater love. The greater love is when they got that and they understood that now their lives must be lived in service of this love. They must go out and show this love to other people. And when they do, the love gets greater. Greater love has no one than this. That not just give my life for enemies, but for friends who now understand that they are in this love too. And it just keeps growing. It keeps getting better. It keeps multiplying. Friends, that's the kind of love that I want to have. That's the kind of love that Jesus wants to give to us. I want to ask uh, Hadam to come up. And let's just take a moment as you think about Jesus on the cross. You think about the love that Jesus poured out for us. And that he did this for the joy that was set before him. Friends, uh, I, I want to assure you that after <laughs> Jesus st still not on that cross, right? He's not still hanging there. He was on that cross for a few hours. But then after that, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is forever resurrected. Do you hear that? Jesus is forever resurrected. I know sometimes we hear love is pain. And, and I'm not going to deny that. There are times where you're going to be asked to love people, and it's hard. It's difficult. But friends, life is hard. Everything is difficult. If you try to just pursue your own joy, I'm telling you, you will experience pain. You will. Let's make no mistake about it. You are always going to face pain. But the kind of pain that Jesus felt on the cross was soon eclipsed by the joy of resurrection, the joy of reconciliation. Jesus was on there. I don't know if he smiled. But it tells us in scripture that the joy was set before him, the joy of reconciliation, the joy of knowing that sinners would come to be saved, that people would come to know his love. And he was excited about that. And he lived his life for that. Friends, what are we living our lives for?
Can you imagine that your love can bring people closer to God? Or your love can fill someone with hope? Or your love can somehow be used by God to reconcile the world? I know it, it, it sounds like such a big and lofty thing, but that is what we are hooking into here. This is the life of love. It is the bigger life. When you say, Jesus, we want to connect to you. We want your love to shine through us and use this love to heal this world. There's nothing greater than that. Just, I, I don't know where this sermon is hitting you guys, but maybe if you want to close your eyes or you just want to, if there's some way that you feel God speaking to you, embrace that love. needed to hear again that you're loved. You've heard that for a couple weeks for those of you who have been here. But maybe just today it hits you a little different. Or maybe some of you have been in the church and you feel like the older brother in the prodigal son story where you say to the father, I've been slaving for you for years. You haven't given me anything. And you needed to hear, no, you are a beloved child. You're part of the family business and the business is love and it is also joy. It is a joyous love that we get to give. It is a wonderful thing. Precious God, we thank you, Lord, for the love that you show us. May we learn, God, how to live in this love, how to show this love to other people. God, I pray that this will be our aim. God, I pray that, that this will change the way that we pray, the way that we think about our lives. Maybe just there's, there's just a tiny little change within us, God your Holy Spirit encounters us and shows us that the life that Jesus led was a life of joy and it was a life of love and those things are one and the same and we can have that. Precious God, will you give that to us? Will you give us opportunities to love you? Will you give us opportunities to be patient? Will you give us opportunities to become love? Thank you, Lord, for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.